Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. On today's podcast episode, I'm going to talk about arrow weight for hunting and also speed. I guess they're they're both pretty closely related, right? And really the preface for this episode and a lot of the information that I have to share is a discussion that was happening over some YouTube comments and, you know, it's kind of light arrow versus heavy arrow type of an argument. But also, uh, you know, one of the questions that came up was, is it just better to have, you know, a good happy medium all around setup where you're not going super heavy, uh, but you're also not going super fast and light. You're somewhere in the middle. And perhaps one way of looking at that is that it could be, you know, kind of the best of all worlds and you're not really exposing yourself too far on either end of the spectrum. But the other way to look at it is that it's actually maybe the worst situation because you're not getting the advantages of either one of those setups. It's just kind of a mediocre choice. So that was really the, you know, I guess commentary that sparked me going out and just collecting a bunch of different data points and running a bunch of different tests to try and figure out maybe not necessarily which is the best choice. Although I think looking at the information, you can kind of glean what that best choice is, but really I just wanted to gather the information so that I could objectively look at the various pros and cons for those different arrow weight and speed decisions and then just see which one you know basically fits the best priority list for whatever you're trying to do and then I can share that information with everybody else so I think I got some really interesting data points here and I'll kind of run over them from top to bottom each test and I looked at basically I guess primarily three different setups a light happy medium and heavy but then also on some of the tests I threw in a super heavy like thousand grain setup and I also threw in for a good point of comparison my wife's setup, who's a much low, lower energy shooter. And the categories that I looked at were speed, kinetic energy, and momentum right out of the bow, and then also at 40 yards, so we can look at the you know speed erosion component of that, measure the sound travel time at 20, 30, 40, 60, and 80 yards, tested the sound at the bow, and then I also tested sound at the target to kind of evaluate if there's an arrow noise difference. And then I shot broadhead groups with each of the setup at 40 yards, measured the average group size and mean radius in six shot groups. And then I looked at the range estimation forgiveness, both at 30 yards and 60 yards, where I basically, you know, would use the 30 or 60 yard mark and shoot at 25 to 35 yards and see what kind of the spread was to evaluate how much of a penalty I would be setting myself up for uh, based on the trajectory. And so I guess as a little bit of a spoiler alert, I went into this thinking that I would basically reinforce my own decision to stick with that happy medium setup, um, shooting a moderately heavy arrow at pretty good speeds, uh, nothing too extremely fast and nothing super heavy. But I can say that as a result of all this testing and just looking at the numbers, I actually have made a change and I moved my arrow weight in one direction uh, before the hunting season. And it's a, a bit of a change, but I'm excited to kind of share the results with you guys in this podcast. I will have the graphs to represent the things that I'm talking about on an Instagram post that you guys can look at while you're listening to the episode. Sometimes this can be hard to listen to if it's just all numbers. So having something to look at is definitely going to be helpful. And then also I'll post this eventually in a YouTube video before the season as well. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management you can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas, aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. All right, so to kind of lay the framework here, the bow setup that I used for all of this testing was my Matthews V331. And I have that bow set up at about 76 pounds with the 75 pound draw mods, 80% let off. And my draw length is, according to the draw mods, 29 inches. But if you actually do the measurement, 
it's uh, 29 and three quarters. So it's a pretty high energy setup. So that'll kind of lead into some of the decision making on the back end. But I can say that the data that I've collected here pretty much aligns with some of the slower setups I've tested in the past too, just in terms of how things trend, uh, both on the you know speed erosion side of things, momentum kinetic energy, very similar things. I think when you talk about compound archery in general, the amount of energy that uh, the limbs can store and transfer into the arrow and how the different equations handle the weight versus the velocity is pretty consistent from what I've seen. So my light arrow that I chose was a 403 grain setup and that 400 grain setup, you know, roughly I'll just, I'll say 400 just cause it's close to that probably for the rest of the episode that setup shot 316 feet per second out of the bow. So a pretty fast setup. Obviously you can get them a little bit faster. This wasn't quite at uh, five grains per pound on the nose, uh, but it was about 5.3 grains per pound. And then the heavy setup that I did was 638 grains. And out of my setup at the bow, that was shooting 253 feet per second. And that equates to roughly an 8.4 grain per pound arrow. And then the uh, happy medium setup was 495 grains. I'll round it to 500. And that was 287 feet per second out of the bow. Um, and that is 6.5 grains per pound. And then the super heavy setup that I had tested just to get a comparison data point was 992 grains. I didn't do all the tests with this one, just a couple of them as a point of reference. That shot 203 feet per second out of the bow. And then my wife's setup, that one was 415 grains at 195 feet per second. And I think the interesting thing in terms of comparison for that setup is that the arrow weight for her acts like a heavy arrow from a trajectory and sound standpoint, but from an arrow weight standpoint, purely it would be equivalent to a lighter weight arrow out of my setup. Uh, so it's good to just kind of keep as a point of reference that heavy and light is kind of relative. Yes. There's, you know, truly heavy and light, just looking at the scale, but you also have to keep that in context compared to, you know, the draw weight and the draw length and the amount of energy that your bow is storing. So with that said, let's jump into the numbers here. And uh, the first graph that I have, if you're following along on the Instagram post is basically just showing kinetic energy and momentum for all of the setups right out of the bow. And what you'll notice is that the amount of kinetic energy is, it's very similar across all the different setups. It does increase slightly for every increment that you go up. It went from 89.3 to 90.5 to 90.6 to 90.7. So it just kind of, you know, steadily creeped up, which was a very similar result to when I had done a whole bunch of kinetic energy and momentum testing out of the bow back with my new breeds a couple of years ago. So that was no surprise there. And then the momentum side of things, uh, you see more of a linear increase where it really did jump up quite a bit out of the bow. The Momentum started at 0.56 slugs and then jumped up to 0.63, then 0.7. And then the thousand grain arrow was almost 0.9 slugs. Uh, so quite a bit more momentum with that setup. So energy was pretty much flat line increased just a fractional amount, uh, pretty steep increase as you went up in arrow weight on the momentum. And then Sam's setup as that point of reference, it's like almost a third of the kinetic energy, a little bit more than a third, between a third and a half and uh, about half the momentum of my lightest arrow setup. So that's uh, something to keep in mind as well. And then I did the testing at 40 yards for both the kinetic energy, the momentum. And to do that, I basically put my chronograph out at 40 yards and I shot over it. And the light arrow started at 315, 316 feet per second out of the bow. By 40 yards, it had slowed down to 295, roughly a 20 feet per second loss. The heaviest arrow, slowed down from 253 to 240. So it lost 13 uh, feet per second. So uh, quite a bit less of an actual foot per second loss. However, if you look at it from a percentage standpoint, it really wasn't that much different. I lost six and a half percent of my speed off the light arrow and a little over 5% of my speed with the heavy arrow. And because the speed loss out at 40 yards was kind of a similar value percentage wise across the the various arrow setups, you tended to see numbers that were really quite similar across the board for your kinetic energy momentum at those 40 yard targets, where really you're looking at uh, just a fractional increase of the kinetic energy and still that step up increase of the momentum. And 
it's a little bit more pronounced than it was right out of the bow. And that's purely because, you know, the heavy arrow did do a little bit better, but it wasn't by like a massive margin It did do a little bit better at retaining speed, which of course, because the mass doesn't change helps both your kinetic energy and momentum that's retained at distance. So really no surprises there because I know that a few other people have tested this, you know, like the honey public, the ranch fairy did their lab radar testing. I know a couple of other friends who have lab radars and have done similar tests. And really it's no surprise that when you shoot your arrows out of your bow, they're impacted by drag, they slow down. And, you know, generally speaking, those heavy arrows are going to maintain their initial velocity a little bit better. But I do want to stress that it's good to look at that, not just from how many feet per second did it lose, but what percent of its speed did it lose? What percent of its energy, what percent of its initial momentum did it lose? And in, in that case, you know, the heavy arrow still did come out a little bit ahead. Now, the next category is also one that we would expect to uh, favor the heavy setups. And this is testing that I've done anecdotally in the past, but this is the first time I actually put numbers to it. And that's sound. So I looked at the sound in two different ways. I put a decibel reader out in front of the bow, five feet in front of where I was standing and about three feet off the ground, just for a consistent placing. It's really important if you're doing sound testing with a decibel reader has to be a very consistent setup. Otherwise you're going to get readings that are really kind of all across the board. So as expected, the heavier you went, the quieter the bow did get. Although I will say it was much, much closer than I expected. The range from the light arrow to the happy medium arrow was less than a decibel. And then jumping to the heavy arrow was another less than a decibel difference. And then when I tested the thousand grain setup, that was a little bit more noticeable. That jump from 640 to a thousand, I lost two decibels, actually almost three. So it was less than a decibel, less than a decibel, less than a decibel, and then almost three decibels jumping basically another 400 grains up in weight. So the quietest that my bow shot was 64 decibels with the, you know, test setup parameters that I had and the loudest was 68.7. And depending on what stats you look up, generally the human ear and, you know, the, I guess the average person is capable of telling about a two to three decibel difference in sounds. So what does that mean? And I, I kind of looked at this on the, the video too and played the sounds back. It generally means that if you were to hear these things in a blind test, the light, medium, and heavy, you'd be hard pressed to find the difference between those three levels, even though you can measure a slight difference when you look at the equipment, uh, which was really surprising to me. I thought that jumping from 400 to 640, it might be noticeable enough that the average person could really tell, but it was really much closer than I had imagined. Now, what's interesting here too, is that Sam's bow was less than 60 decibels. It was 59.5 in that reading, which is exceptionally quiet, but it also proves something. It actually proves a couple things. It's not just based on arrow weight, right? Because if it was, then Sam's 415 grain arrow should be much louder than it is, but instead it's exceptionally quiet. And it's also not just arrow weight per, you know, draw weight because Sam's setup's only like 10 grains per pound. It's kind of like a, you know, a more normal traditional bow setup where guys will shoot around, you know, nine to 11 grains per pound. And her setup is still much, much quieter, five decibels quieter than my setup at 13 grains per pound. So what does that say? That means that Sam's bow, because it's such a light energy setup, only 40 pounds, roughly draw weight at 25 inch draw. She's still having some of that excess energy when she shoots the bow turned into noise and sound energy. But because she had so little to start with, there was less of that waste going into, you know, creating noise overall. You know, if you ever hear like a kid's bow being shot with a whatever weight arrow at the range, they're usually pretty quiet. You don't usually hear kids bows that are exceptionally loud. Usually the loud bows are like those older, you know, heavyweight compounds that weren't super efficient at, uh, getting the arrow out of the bow and had a lot of hand shock vibration and noise. So what this means to me is that and I guess here's the key takeaway. If a deer is going to jump the string to the light bow, they're probably also going to jump the string uh, with the heavy arrow. And if the deer is likely to not jump the string with the heavy arrow, which occasionally happens, 
they're probably also not going to jump the string in that same scenario with the lighter setup. They were just that close together. And that's really important to me to, to kind of understand the differences there because that was always something that I've kept in mind when trying to analyze the light versus the heavy setups is that, Hey, you know, they're less likely to jump the string with a heavier arrow, which to a certain extent might be true, but you might also have to jump up to a 1200 grain arrow before it's quiet enough to where it's say similar to my wife's bow, where we actually have documented evidence of her stopping the deer, the deer looking our direction, her shooting and the deer not flinching until the arrow actually contacts the hide. So I think her bow is legitimately quiet enough that at least on an early season hunt, we still got foliage and, you know, maybe some, a little bit of wind noise rustling around to cover the sound of that bow and an arrow a little bit. It works. And, uh, perhaps late season, December, January with snow on the ground and no leaves, maybe they would still jump the string at her bow. It's kind of a dynamic thing. That's not a, a yes or no. There's not like a certain level of sound where all of a sudden no deer is going to jump the string. Uh, it seems like it's a very hit or miss type of a thing in reality. But even though there wasn't much of a difference with the sound testing at the bow, when I played back the video clips of shooting the arrows at 40 yards, you could see, or I guess you could hear that on the 250 feet per second setup, that 640 grain arrow, it did seem like the veins were slightly quieter. Whereas I couldn't tell much of a difference between the light and the happy medium setup, but it still wasn't significant. And I shot the arrows again with mechanical field point, solid blade, invented blade broadheads. And I would say that the, the loudness difference between the vented broadhead versus a solid broadhead or a mechanical was more significant than the difference between the 650 grade arrow and the 400 grade arrow in terms of the sound of the, the bow going off and the sound of the arrow coming toward the target. So now that we've gone over a couple of categories where you'd expect the heavier arrows to do a little bit better, and they did, maybe not as significantly as I would have thought previously, but they did do better, uh, especially on the retained momentum side of things. But now we're going to start switching into categories that really started to favor the lighter setups. And those categories are reaction time or basically the time from when the deer hears the sound of the bow going off until the arrow gets there that amount of time. And then also we're going to talk about the range estimation forgiveness at 30 yards and also at 60 yards, which is very closely tied to the trajectory you're getting. And we also are going to look at broadhead groups because ultimately that's probably one of the most important factors on here. It is, uh, you have to be able to shoot those broadheads well, accurately, and with forgiveness. So for the, the uh, time of flight testing, basically for all of the categories, the lightest arrow got to the target the quickest. The happy medium was in the middle and the heavy was the slowest. And my wife's setup, of course, moving less than 200 feet a second was significantly slower than even my heavy setup. When I did my testing a couple of years ago, which at the time was just really preliminary. And when I first started to see that there was a speed erosion thing that it you know, basically gave an advantage to the, the heavier arrows where it was losing less velocity at distance, you know, maybe kind of wonder if there's a certain point where the arrow would impact the target sooner, or would just hit the target with more retained velocity with a heavier setup than an arrow that was slightly uh, lighter. And what it does seem like looking at these numbers is that, you know, all across the scale, it didn't matter even out to 80 yards, the lighter arrow was hitting first at, uh, at 20 yards, for instance, it was, I mean, it's like negligible. We're talking 0.13 seconds versus 0.18. I guess that's not negligible. It's still a pretty big difference percentage wise, but both of those arrows shooting at 20 yards with that amount of time, uh, you're not going to have too many issues generally, but expand this all the way out to 80 yards and the light arrow took 0.58 seconds so just over a half a second to get there. And the heavy setup took three quarters of a second. So it's still pretty significant. And I do think that if you had two identical arrows and they were pretty close in arrow weight, you could probably shoot them. And if you shot them at a significantly long distance, it's definitely possible due to the drag on those two setups that the heavier arrow might hit the target with more retained velocity but the lighter arrow is probably still going to reach the target first. You know, think of it like uh, an old washed up sprinter who's still strong and explosive, but pretty out of shape 
running a hundred meter dash against a marathon runner, even though the marathon runner is in a lot better shape, the old out of shape sprinter is probably going to get up to a much quicker speed out of the blocks. And even if he's huffing and puffing and slowing down quite a bit at the end, he's still going to cross the line before the other guy catches up. Um, not totally apples to apples, but it's an analogy that kind of makes sense to me in my head in terms of how to think about those two setups working. And where this reaction time becomes important to me is when you think about string jumping. I've definitely seen scenarios where the deer just take it. They don't jump the string at all. They don't duck and they really don't even flinch until the arrow makes impact. And obviously I've also seen it the other way where you shoot and they jump and roll and twist pretty hard and try to get out of the way of the arrow and it can significantly alter your impact. And it seems like in general, and there's definitely no absolutes and there's no nevers in deer hunting, but it seems like in general, early season, lots of foliage, maybe some wind rustling the leaves, maybe some, you know, bug noise in the background seems to create an environment where deer are less likely to jump the string. And I think part of that's probably because there's just a much higher ambient noise. So it kind of drowns out the sound of your bow and the sound of your arrow. Um, but it also, I think just makes it more likely that deer are hearing just random noises, a lot more activity going on in the woods, birds and, you know, bugs and whatever else contrast that to late season where they've been hunted hard. They're kind of on edge. The woods are just pin drop quiet and any sound could be seen as very abnormal and they could be much more likely to jump the string in that scenario. But if they are not going to jump the string, it doesn't really matter how loud your bow is, how fast your bow is. If they're not going to jump the string, you're going to, you should be able to hit where you're aiming at. But if they do happen to jump the string, then the less time that the arrow has to travel to get there, the less distance that deer is going to be able to duck by the time the arrow makes impact. When you start at really, really short distances, because there's a reaction time, there's a time from when the deer hears the sound, the, you know, sound impulses go to the brain and then the brain tells the signal to go to the body to, to start moving out of the way that takes time. And so if you were to shoot a deer at like five yards, there's just not enough time for them to start to react. Right? So your arrow is going to hit them, even though they obviously are likely going to hear the bow. And you, you start to extend that distance a little bit further and further. And eventually you're going to get to a point where, okay, now you're far enough away that they can start to react and actually move and alter your point of impact. And the less time the arrow has to travel, the further that distance out extends to. So it may or may not be significant, but I mean, you look back at the, the timetables that I had listed at 20 yards, it was a, you know, 0.13 versus a 0.18 light versus heavy, your arrow's getting there that much quicker, even at that distance. I haven't done a whole bunch of testing, though you probably could with basically looking at a large number of, of hunts that are filmed and just kind of counting video frames and calculating a reaction time between when the bow goes off and then when the deer starts to move and then from when they start to move to their max distance of drop, figure out how far they moved, how long it took them, and do the math on that side of things. And if you have that, as well as your time of flight, or I guess the reaction time, then you'd be able to figure out what that distance is, kind of that critical point where if you shoot a deer underneath that critical point, they're not gonna be able to move quick enough to get out of the way of your arrow. Uh, but certainly none of these setups are moving faster than the speed of sound. So at a certain point, all of them are gonna be susceptible to string jump. But kind of going back to the sound thing, if your light versus heavy setups are such that there's not a significant difference in noise between all those setups, then you would tend to favor the one that's going to have the least amount of time of flight from a string jumping perspective. Now on the flip side, if, if your bow setup is way different than mine and, you know, shooting a six or 700 grain arrow is significantly quieter to where it might make the difference between the deer jumping the string or not, then obviously it's a totally different you know, scenario and different set of parameters, but, uh, at least for my bow, when I did this testing, the sound difference was there, but very small amounts, not what I would call very significant. And I think one other thing that's just important to clarify, if you're going to do some testing like this on your own, is that when you're measuring time of flight, it's technically slightly different than the time of reaction 
or the time that the deer has to react because if you have like to measure the time that a deer has to react, you could put your camera at the target and then you shoot your bow at the target and you play back the footage. And whenever you see the sound waveform on the camera, that means the sound has traveled from your bow to the camera and it's taken, you know, 50 thousandths of a second to travel that far at 20 yards at 40 yards is taken about a 10th of a second at 80 yards is taken about two tenths of a second for the sound to travel there. And then you're going to hear the sound of the arrow impact to the target. And the time between those is the amount of time the deer has to react. If you were to calculate your actual time of flight, you would need to calculate the time gap and then add on the sound travel time because your arrow is already in flight before you can hear it at the target. Um, so just kind of a little thing there, but I guess if you're going to do this, don't put your camera at the bow and then shoot out to the target and measure the differences because your, your results will be off because then your start time is correct. And then the arrow travels to the target and then the sound comes from the target back to you. So it ends up being overly inflated compared to if you have your camera out at the target, kind of confusing uh, concept, but I guess if you're going to do it and you want to make it realistic, put your camera where the deer is going to be, and then just measure between the frames and also try to film it with a higher frame rate. If you can, the more frames per second that you have, the more accurate results are going to be. And, uh, basically just the better resolution your test is going to have. Now, when we look at the forgiveness based on your trajectory, what I did here is I was trying to simulate a scenario in which let's say it's peak rut and you, you hear some leaves crunching, you hear some sticks snap and you look over, there's a doe coming running in. She's wheezing. She's got a buck behind her and she's quickly moving past this tree that you pre-ranged and it was at 30 yards and you're getting ready. You got your release hooked up to your D loop. You draw back, you see the buck, he's moving past that tree too. You're like, okay, he's about 30 yards. You put the pin on him and you get ready to shoot. You stop him, he stops. And then you basically do your best to aim and, and, uh, fire the release. But maybe what you didn't realize in that moment of truth was that he wasn't actually right by that tree. Perhaps he was five yards beyond the tree. Perhaps he was five yards closer than the tree. And so maybe your real shot was 25, maybe it was 35. And I wanted to see in that scenario, how much would you be penalized by making that mistake in range estimation? And so to test that, I basically took my 30 yard pin and I figured this out for all of those different arrow weights. And then I shot it at 25 yards and then I shot it at 30 yards. And then I basically said, okay, well, it, you know, 25 yards, it's X inches high at 35 yards. It's X inches low. And then I added those together to basically get my overall gap, that whole range of height, top to bottom. And with the light setup, you know, with that initial velocity of 315 feet per second, it was just over three inches. So, you know, plus or minus an inch and a half, uh, above my, above and below my pin was my, basically my penalty range, uh, for misjudging the distance on that deer. With the happy medium setup, it was seven inches overall. And with the heavy setup, it was nine inches. So I was penalized almost three times as much with the heavy arrow compared to the lighter arrow at just 30 yards, which I think for a lot of guys is still a, a fairly reasonable setup or at least a fairly reasonable shot distance they might take on whitetails. Obviously, if you're a, a 20 and in kind of guy or maybe even 25 and in, then that might not matter as much. Uh, but especially once you get out to like at 30, 35 range, it definitely starts to matter a whole lot more. And then I tried it for 60 yards as well. And I would hope that, you know, for guys who are hunting out West and might be taking a, a shot in that 60 yard ballpark, you're probably getting a good range on it anyway. Uh, but still, you know, from a lot of the guys I talked to who are elk hunters and some of the videos I see, sometimes he might range that bull and he's, you know, walking in open open grass or, you know, he, he kind of angles a little bit closer. You don't realize it. He angles a little bit further, takes a couple steps, and now he's at 65 or maybe he's at 55. So I basically repeated the same test. And this time that plus or minus five yard range estimation factor with the light arrow, your total penalty range was 14 inches. And for the heavy arrow, it was 28 inches. It was a double. Um, so not quite as significant as the, the 30 yard, but 
in terms of an overall difference, it was, you know, 14 inches worse. Um, meaning basically you could hold your pin at 60, take that shot and realistically you might hit 18 inches low of your target if he's actually at 65 versus, you know, 60. So that was pretty noticeable. Again, I, I imagine that most guys are typically using a rangefinder if they're going to be shooting that far, but I wanted to get, uh, basically two ends of the spectrum, one that's more realistic for whitetails, one that might be more realistic of a scenario for out West. And in either scenario, it's just good to, to point out that even though the speed erosion is real and the heavier arrow does better from a speed erosion perspective, it didn't help either the time of flight or the range estimation forgiveness that you're going to have with those setups. In both of those scenarios, the lighter arrow did better. And then the, the last thing that I really had here was the broadhead grouping. And I figured just based off of all of the general archery advice that you hear, read in magazines over the years, hear on TV shows, read on archery talk, like whatever the case may be, you tend to hear that it's harder to get broadheads to fly well at higher speeds. And I've heard 270 feet per second be kind of that cutoff point. I've heard some people say 280. I've heard some people say that cutoff point is 300 feet per second. But ultimately I figured, you know what? 315, that's pretty fast. I'm going to shoot uh, a mechanical. I'm going to shoot a bigger broadhead that's solid blade, like in this case the B3 Destruct Max, which is a one and three eighths inch uh, cutting diameter fixed head, three blade. And then also the Iron Will Wide, which has a one and three eighths inch main blade and a three quarter inch bleeder. And so I'm gonna test all three of those broadheads at each of these setups. And I guess the surprising thing for me was that they were not significantly different. And the group that actually shot the best was uh, shooting the Sever 1.5 with that lighter arrow. At 40 yards, I had shot a six arrow group that measured 1.6 inches uh, with a mean radius of 0.66 inches. And in that same shooting session, I shot the iron wheel wide with a 2.4 inch group at 40 and the B3 max at a 2.8 inch group, which to be honest, like this is one of those days where I'm, I'm just shooting, you know, pretty much about as well as I can shoot. And I can't shoot field points that much better than that sever group. So if any of the setups, you know, had been expected to, to shoot worse, I guess significantly worse, I would have thought of in the light arrow group. But ultimately, all of these broadhead groups were close enough that to really be able to determine if one was better or worse than the others, I'd probably have to at least triple, maybe even quadruple the amount of shooting and testing and comparing groups, different days, different orders of shooting. And eventually after, you know, hundreds and hundreds of arrows shot, one might start to, to really present itself as, I guess, the best. And maybe the best in that scenario could also be influenced by, you know, maybe that overall arrow setup was dynamically matched a little bit better to your rig and therefore it was more forgiving. Uh, but it definitely wasn't like one of these groups was half as good as, as, uh, the other arrow setup. They were all pretty much right in that same ballpark about where I'd expected to be based on my shooting capability. And it was true with the bigger fixed blade broadheads as well as the mechanicals. So to that, I say, who, who says you can't shoot, broadheads over uh, 300 feet per second well. But I think that one thing you probably have to keep in mind is that I put a lot of time into to making sure my rig is tuned really well. I have a, all of the equipment that you would need to work on bows in my garage. I've you know ensured that my cam timing and synchronization is right. My bows are, all my arrows are shooting bullet holes. They're all marked and, and knocked tuned so that they all shoot the same. And you know, for this testing, even to reduce variability, I shot the same arrow over and over for all these groups, just to eliminate any arrow to arrow inconsistencies. And also my bow has pretty good knock travel, uh, both horizontally and vertically. So I think it's, it's definitely possible that if you, you know, maybe aren't the best bow tuner, or you don't really check on some of those things. And maybe in the past, you've noticed that fixed blades in general, don't fly as, as well as mechanicals anyway, and, and maybe your form isn't the greatest and, and all those type of things, you might find that a faster setup is less forgiving. Uh, certainly it seems like there's enough people who say it that are very experienced in the archery world that there's most likely a grain of truth to that for sure. But I'm saying that from the shooting that I did, I did not see a significant difference. 
So the only thing I really didn't test, I guess, in great detail was the wind drift. Uh, but I did do some more research on it and, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I found some articles that were written by the army, I guess, looking more at, uh, ballistics in terms of bullets and wind drift. But then I also found some different articles and white papers on wind drift in relation to archery. And, and in the white paper that I found from the army, they basically had the wind drift of the projectiles in a really simple formula. It's basically just the wind speed, you know, blowing perpendicular to your projectile times the time of flight, uh, from the launcher to the target minus the time of flight. If it was fired in a vacuum. And if you were to fire your projectile at a higher initial speed, then both of those times would decrease and ultimately do so in a way that would minimize your wind drift. Um, however, there's also the, the mass portion and the, I guess the sectional density and the aerodynamics that impact the way that those two, uh, I guess, compare against one another. Ultimately, they basically said that you got a number one, use a projectile that has the best aerodynamic shape or form factor, which obviously makes sense. Maximize the sectional density. And I guess in arrows, the equivalent would be, you know, higher mass in a smaller arrow. And number three, use the highest possible velocity for a projectile satisfying both those first two, the aerodynamics and the, uh, the sectional density. So that was kind of an interesting, you know, analogy from the uh, the rifle side of things. And most of the archery related information I was able to find simply looked at the wind drift in terms of, you know, manipulating the kinematics equation in order to find your displacement due to the wind. And that was just a function of, you know, the elapsed time that the arrows in flight, as well as the acceleration due to the, the wind and that acceleration due to the wind, of course, is related to the wind force as well as the mass of your arrow. So, course, time of flight and arrow mass both play a role. One which favors the uh, arrow speed, one which favors the arrow mass. And so ultimately there was, there's not a, if you just look at the numbers, you can't just look at it and say, oh, obviously it's this. And in some of my digging around, I did find a, a thread on rock slide where somebody had taken, you know, those kinematics equations and compared it to some of the data that they had collected on the hunting public ranch fairy videos with the lab radar and used the math to basically predict based off of their results, which arrows were likely to drift less in the wind. And it, it seemed based on that analysis that the heavier arrows likely would drift less in the wind. Um, however, that's with all things being equal, you know, same exact arrow profile, same diameter, same fletching configuration, same point, same front of center. Whereas in reality, you know, you might see big influences just by switching to, you know, one vein versus another vein or uh, a big broadhead in the front versus a mechanical, uh, you know, super large diameter arrow versus a micro. Um, different things certainly play roles. It's not just weight. It's not just speed that make all of the difference in that scenario. Ultimately, at some point, I will do additional testing actually out in the wind and be able to, to measure those results. In fact, one of the things I want to be able to do is not only test wind drift, but also test the relationship of front of center and try to see if, if we can show how your front of center percentage and especially relative to the center of pressure impacts the amount of wind drift that you get, but also try and see how that impacts how much the back end of your arrow kicks out in the wind because obviously hitting the target at a severe angle is really, really bad for penetration. And so perhaps there's an optimal distance that your center pressure should be behind your center of mass. In, in other words, you don't want your lever arm potentially to be too long. Otherwise your arrow is going to bend really bad in the wind. An arrow with a lower static margin might not angle as much in the wind, but it might drift more in the wind. So there's a bunch of parameters there, especially before I go out west. Definitely can do some more testing on that. But, uh, you know, I found a range that is a little over an hour drive away that's got flat enough, open enough ground where if we get a good wind, I'll be able to test some of this stuff. Uh, but at least in the couple of last weeks that I've had available um, and all the various things I have going on, I've not been able to make it out there to do any testing in that regard. Uh, luckily for most of the whitetail hunting that I'm doing, 
it's not as impactful as it would be if I was going on an out west trip. So in summary, and this is kind of also going to my personal takeaways from looking at all of this information. What I saw that favored the heavier arrows was that you have more momentum the higher up you go. And that's also true at distance. You have slightly quieter bows and arrows from the heavier setups. However, it was not ultra significant of a difference in my scenario. And even by going up to a absurdly heavy arrow, I was still not able to get anywhere close to the level of noise that my wife's bow has. And on the pros from the speed side of things and the, the lightweight arrow side of things, uh, and, and you know, important distinction there too, right? That light arrow for me is not necessarily a light arrow for somebody like Sam or a low energy setup because I have way more energy behind it. So in one regard, I could kind of think of these setups as light, medium, and heavy. In another regard, I kind of could think about these as fast, medium, and slow. Um, and thinking about it that way kind of forces you to adjust the arrow weight based on your own personal poundage, draw link, etc. Um, so for me, the lighter, faster setup was definitely better in the range estimation penalty side of things. Penalized much less for being a little bit off on your yardage at uh, 30 yards. Same thing at 60 yards. It also got to the target significantly faster than the other setups. And even if you were going to use a Garmin or an EZV, and, and I guess make that argument, with the Garmin, it still does take time to get that extra range. And if you're shaky and you're trying to hit a small target with that uh, laser, sometimes it can be tough to hold the laser steady enough to get that good range while you pull your finger off and you might at the last second have the laser drift off onto a, a branch, you know, in front of or behind the deer. Uh, basically, it's not bulletproof in terms of how you use it. You have to be somewhat diligent if you're in really high stress scenarios. Uh, but then also with the EZV, uh, I still do believe just looking at the inserts and playing around with it, the faster inserts are easier to estimate range with than the slower inserts, which basically at a certain point almost look like two vertical lines and it can get kind of tough to tell exactly how those tick marks and how those, uh, how that V should line up against your vitals. And if you are off by a significant amount there, it's going to make a huge difference in your point of impact. Uh, so I do think that even with that type of a site, having a faster arrow does make it a little bit easier to run. So we had an advantage there for the heavier arrows in terms of the momentum. We had a couple of advantages there in terms of the trajectories for the lighter arrows. And we had a couple of things that really, I mean, the differences were there, but they were pretty negligible. That had to do with the sound that had to do with the broadhead flight and the broadhead grouping. They were all close enough that if they were the only difference, I might go with whatever one was slightly better. However, they were so close that I think the other factors that were more significant are kind of driving my own personal decision. And ultimately, when I look at the amount of energy, when I look at the amount of momentum that my arrow has out of my longer draw, higher poundage setup, even at 40 yards, it's still a ton, uh, much more than I guess what is considered bare minimum and still much more than even my wife's setup is as a point of comparison. Like if you look at the momentum, which is a more worst case analysis than the kinetic energy, my momentum at probably a hundred yards is probably still more than my wife's momentum out of the bow. And, uh, you know, certainly more energy and momentum than my traditional bows. For the two deer that Sam shot with her bow, both have been full pass-throughs and the arrow was stuck about three inches in the dirt on the other side. And what's important to know with that is her bow is really well-tuned. Her arrow flight is great. Uh, the deer weren't moving much when she shot and she was shooting really razor sharp cut on contact broadheads with a, a good angle of entry. And, and that obviously goes a long ways. So I definitely have a lot more wiggle room in terms of what I can choose to use or not use with my setup. I would say if my broadhead flight would have been worse with the lighter setup, I probably would have stuck with a happy medium overall arrow mass. If my bow would have been significantly louder with the lighter arrow weight, then I may still have stuck with the happy medium setup. 
for me, looking at all the numbers, there wasn't really much of an advantage of going heavy and slow over happy medium. But even when I was comparing the light and fast against the happy medium, I think for my setup, the pros kind of outweigh the cons. And I'm actually, you know, looking at this and the lighter arrow makes more sense uh, for what I'm trying to do. You know, for a lot of the deer that I've shot inside of 20 or even inside of 25 yards, you know, for the last couple of years, especially when I had tried the, the heavy arrow thing, my bow was shooting 237 to 250 in that range and never really had any issues. Um, but like I said, most of those deer were inside of that 25 yard window. But when I think back to some of those scenarios that can be very dynamic, especially during the rut, not necessarily a recency bias on all the hunts that I've had the last couple of years where most of my shots have been close. I've even been doing more hunting off the ground, getting these nice close shots. You know, I definitely remember some of those scenarios where you get those, you know, 25 to 35 yard fast paced hunting opportunities that, uh, are very dynamic in nature. You don't always have time to get a great range and having that little bit of extra forgiveness on the range estimation side of things can be pretty important. And right now I'm leaning towards that basically taking priority over the retained momentum that I would have, you know, if I went with the, the heavier, even the happy medium setup, uh, just purely from the standpoint that I've already got so much that I have a lot of wiggle room in terms of what I can get away with. And if I really am worried about that, then I can just make sure the broadhead choice is appropriate and is a, a low force to penetrate type of a head. Now, obviously that's not a blanket statement recommendation, depending on your scenario and what you're comfortable with. And some of the other factors that I talked about earlier, like is your bow really well tuned? If not, maybe you're not going to be able to shoot high speeds as forgiving. Are you shooting 50 pounds in a 27 inch draw? In that case, shooting a, you know, 275 grain arrow to get 300 plus feet per second might not be the, the wisest uh, choices either. You know, I'd love to be able to build my wife a setup that has a much better trajectory at her 40 pound draw builder, like a, you know, 250 grain setup or something like that, maybe even lighter. Uh, but in reality, I'm just really not comfortable or familiar with what kind of margin there's going to be in terms of penetration with that, that, uh, type of an arrow setup for her. So we're sticking more on the safer side of things for now. So I can definitely see why a lot of people oftentimes recommend the happy medium setup. We're not going on one note or the other, because as a blanket statement, general recommendation, without knowing somebody's specific setup, without knowing the type of shot scenarios that they usually are going to get, it can be hard to make a recommendation on one side or the other. Now, with my traditional bows, I'm not going to be shooting a super light arrow, but my arrow weight choice is, is basically based on a grains per pound recommendation, and that is because that correlates very closely with a certain trajectory that I'm going to get a uh, certain arrow speed. You know, I tried say like 13 grains per pound out of one of my bows and did some 3d shoots with it and really was just kind of not happy with the kind of, I guess, vertical oval shaped groups that I was getting, especially when shooting unknown distance and unknown ranges at some of those 3d targets. It just was, you know, really not that forgiving if you were off by any little bit in your range estimation. Whereas if I was shooting, say, 10 grains per pound, I was much more accurate and much more likely to get a plan A shot than if I was shooting the super heavy, slow arrow uh, out of the traditional side of things without sights, basically just using the, the tip of an arrow as a, you know, somewhat of a sighting reference. And that was another point of reference that I used when kind of making my decision was that, man, I'm, I'm comfortable with shooting, you know, mid 400s grain arrow with my traditional bows. I'm comfortable allowing Sam to hunt with a 400 ish grain arrow out of her setup. I was like, why do I need more than that? So I'm basically shooting the same arrow weight as my wife, but I'm shooting it over hundred feet per second faster because of the extra energy that I have with my draw length, my poundage, uh, and my overall setup. So that was just something else that I, you know, kind of kept in mind. And the biggest thing that I've noticed anecdotally, when I went from, I guess, just whatever arrow setup I had used prior to the heavy arrow movement. And then going back into the, the heavy arrows and then kind of dialing it back down to the heavy medium setups. You know, the biggest things I noticed was that beforehand I would get pass throughs still, but a lot of times the pass throughs would just kind of be laying in the grass, regardless of whether or not I was shooting a mechanical or a fixed head, like a slick trick or like a steel force. Um, when I went to the little bit heavier arrows, 
I started getting deeper pass-throughs, um, but also at the same time, I was, you know, upgrading my bows to where I was getting a little bit more energy out of them. My equipment was getting more efficient over the years. And ultimately, like the last couple of years, shooting like 500-ish grains and 270 to 280 feet per second with those setups, you know, the deer that I've shot, the arrow's been like halfway stuck in the dirt, you know, like nine to 16 inches into the ground. And I don't necessarily mind that. I don't think that you necessarily can have too much penetration as long as you're not giving something else up. And in this case, you definitely are giving something else up. If you make the choice to go with a heavier, slower arrow, you certainly are giving up something on the trajectory side of things. And that's ultimately the big balance. And that of course is why it's hard to make a blanket statement recommendation and uh, why everybody's got to do a little bit of testing for themselves and try and figure out where they fit on the spectrum and what they might be comfortable or not comfortable with and ultimately what they prioritize more, whether it's trajectory side of things or, or uh, momentum side of things, or if they just want to find that happy medium and be somewhere in the middle. But I want to kind of explain some of the test results that I've gotten and explain some of the decisions that I'm making and why I'm shooting basically a, you know, 300 plus feet per second arrow setup out of my compound this year. And it's not going to be right at 400 grains in order to, to basically build my setup. I got the components to where ultimately my setup is going to be with light and knocks around 420, 425. I, I need to measure them, but they're somewhere right in that ballpark. And I'll actually be around 308 feet per second, I believe, instead of the 315 that I tested with a lightweight setup that I did for this round of testing. So it's a little bit maybe more close to what a lot of people might consider a happy medium, but given my poundage, it relatively is a lighter, faster arrow setup. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope the information and the data was helpful. If you guys have any questions, I know this is kind of a, a dense episode with a lot of numbers and information in it. Please don't hesitate to reach out on social media if you have any questions. And uh, I'll do my best to get back to you, answer, help, explain with any kind of additional numbers or even anecdotal evidence that I have from the woods or references that I've gotten from other people that I've talked about on this particular subject. It's very interesting stuff. And ultimately, we all just want to have the most effective setup that we can when we're out in the woods and uh, trying to fill that tag. That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content for myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.